You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Remember Solomon's request that I may discern between your people. He was going to have to judge the people. He wanted to do it correctly. He wanted to do the right way. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, and acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom. Why did King Solomon ask for wisdom over knowledge? There is a crucial difference between the two, as Pastor Dave shares in today's message. Knowledge doesn't help you decide what to do in difficult situations. Through wisdom, you can cut to the matter at heart, which is always the heart. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, as he begins his message, Knowledge to Wisdom. First Kings, we're looking specifically at chapter 3, and we're going to be getting in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. So, First Kings 3, 16 through 28. Here we are in chapter 3 of First Kings. Solomon is firmly established now as king of Israel. He's taking care of all the family business, and he's now going about the task of ruling a kingdom. The task of being king. And although he had already gone against the Lord's command about collecting wives and worshiping in the high places, he did eventually go to the tabernacle at Gibeon and offer sacrifice. This was the place he was supposed to go. This was the place that was recognized by the Lord because the tabernacle was still there, even though the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem, he still was to go to Gibeon. And a miraculous thing happened while he was at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to him in a dream. The Lord appeared to him in a dream after he had sacrificed correctly. The Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Ask, what shall I give you? What a wonderful thing. And Solomon, in response, praised the Lord. In response to what the Lord said, Solomon praised him and gave him glory for his goodness and mercy that he showed to his father David. He recognized that it was the Lord who anointed David as king, and now it was the same Lord who had anointed him to be king. And he was ever grateful. He also recognized that he had a large task ahead of him. He knew that ruling over God's chosen people, the Israelites, was no small task. It was a hard task. He heard about what happened in the wilderness with Moses. He knows all about what happened with Joshua and all through the judges. He knows all those things. As a good Jewish boy, he was probably steeped in Israeli history. He probably read through the Word of God and read through the history of the nation. So Solomon asked God for wisdom. Uh, Look at verse 9 from chapter 3. 
Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great a people of yours? Solomon asked for wisdom, discernment, wisdom that I could judge your people, Lord. They're your children. How do I handle them? How do I judge them? How do I deal with them? They're yours. Help me. This is a great thing for a leader to ask. This is a wonderful thing for a leader to ask. And as a pastor of a church, I spend a lot of time before the Lord asking this very thing. Lord, I don't know how to deal with your people correctly. And it seems like the things I say are usually wrong. Help me. Help me to say the right things to, to, because they're your people. They're your children. And for some crazy reason, Lord, you've placed me in a position of authority. And now, Lord, I want to deal with them the way you would have me deal with them. And it's a good thing for a leader to pray that, Lord, give me wisdom, discernment. And as I was reading through this again, I had a thought. Now, don't get wise. It didn't die of loneliness. I did have a thought. I did have a thought. Why would wisdom, why would Solomon ask for wisdom? Why didn't he ask for knowledge? Why didn't he ask for knowledge? What's the difference? I'm glad you asked. Throughout the Bible, wisdom and knowledge are both reoccurring themes. The terms are very closely related, but they are not synonymous, which means they don't mean the same thing. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Remember Solomon's request? that I may discern between your people. He was going to have to judge the people, and he wanted to do it correctly. He wanted to do the right way. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, and acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but wisdom can exist without knowledge. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when not to use it. See the difference? There's a difference. God wants us to have knowledge of him, what he expects of us. In order to obey him, we have to have the knowledge of his commands. We have to have the knowledge of his commands. What does he want from us? But as equally as important as having knowledge is having wisdom. Knowing facts about God in the Bible is not all there is to wisdom. We studied this last week. Wisdom is a gift from God. James 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then he goes on to say that you need to have faith to accept wisdom and then use it the correct way. God blesses us with wisdom in order for us to glorify him and to use the knowledge we have of him. On Saturday mornings, once a month, the men gather here for a breakfast. And we have been going through the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. It's the book of Proverbs. We call ourselves the wise guys. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, it speaks of both biblical knowledge and wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs focuses on the practical life wisdom more than theological ideas. Did you understand what I said there? The book of Proverbs focuses on practical life wisdom more than theological ideas. Yet, it is founded in a vital theological principle. True knowledge and wisdom flow from the fear of the Lord. Everything we have comes from the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to start on the path of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And then in chapter 9, it's repeated, and it basically is the sum of all knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the sum of all knowledge. It's the knowledge that God can provide to us with wisdom through His Son, Jesus Christ, who in the Bible is wisdom himself. Because in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Knowledge is what is gathered over time through study of the scriptures. It can be said that wisdom in turn acts properly upon knowledge. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. Example, knowledge understands that the light is turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves God. Do you see the difference what I'm talking about here? Solomon knew the things of God and what he had done for his father, David. Solomon knew all this. He had seen firsthand the great relationship that his father had with the Lord. He visualized it. Now, again, he was very young, but he still was impressed by what his father had with the Lord. And I don't know if Solomon ever gets that close to the Lord, but certainly he wanted it. Solomon had great knowledge. He learned much from his father and through scriptures. As I said, being a good little Jewish boy, he probably had to go through Hebrew school. He probably had to learn the first five books of the Bible, which are called the the, the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. He had to learn those things. He knew how to sacrifice. He went down to Gibeon and made sacrifices. He came back to Jerusalem and made more sacrifices. He knew the correct way to go about with his sin, confessing his sin, sacrificing for it, asking for forgiveness, and then repenting. He knew the commands of the Lord. I believe he knew the fickleness of the people of Israel. I believe he heard all the stories about the rebellion in the wilderness, how they wanted... Food from heaven. And then they got tired of man and they wanted meat. And they got tired of quail. He heard about their fickleness, how they constantly rebelled against God. He had a knowledge of their past. And now he needs God's wisdom to apply that knowledge into ruling them. Does that make sense? This is what I see happening here. And we come into a very, very, very Popular story, once again. Everybody knows this story. Everybody has heard it probably five or six times. But before we get there, I want to talk about the Lord's response in verses 14, 11 through 14 in chapter 3 of 1 Kings. 
In verses 11 through 14, it said, Then the Lord God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone there arise after you. Now, I love this. Listen to what he said here. And I just picked it up. I just read it about the 80th time, and it just came to me. I love it. It doesn't say, I have given you a wise and understanding brain. It says, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. I love that. I really like that. And I have also given you what you did not ask for, riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among your kings all your days. So if, you can underline if, but about 40 underlines, if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon woke, and indeed it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered up peace offerings, and made a feast for his servants. Solomon's request for wisdom appeased the Lord and made him happy. He was glad. But the Lord was careful to remind Solomon that his obedience to God's covenant and his devotion to the Lord were the keys to his future blessings. The Lord had given Solomon a wise and understanding heart. And being in the tabernacle and hearing from God must have been a mountaintop experience. Can you imagine that? Being in God's presence and hearing from God. But as we've said before in the past, we cannot remain on the mountaintop forever. We cannot remain on the mountaintop forever. Eventually, you must come down into the valley. After being on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus and his disciples came down from the mount and returned to service and duty, and they immediately met with a crisis. The Apostle Paul was up in the third heaven. He was up in the heights of heaven, and he came down and had a thorn in the flesh. Solomon had to leave the altar at Gibeon and Jerusalem, and now he had to return to his responsibilities of the kingdom. He had this great mountaintop experience, but now he's got to get back to the work at hand. We go on retreats. We go to conferences. We have a prayer meeting. We have a time of God's word, and it becomes a mountaintop experience, and you're walking around almost in a euphoric state, like, wow, isn't the Lord good? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't this a fantastic time? And you feel like, Peter, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We should never leave. And you want to stay on that mountaintop forever. And the Lord says, no, it's time to go, because I'm going to take you to that mountaintop over there. Yeah, Lord, let's go. And he starts to walk down. He starts to walk down, because you got to go back down. you got to be prepared as you go down. Because that's when the enemy attacks. You want the enemy to attack you? Step out in ministry. Try to witness to your neighbor. Try to come to a Bible study. Just try to get out of your, into your car and come to a Bible study. You're going to be attacked. We have an enemy. Solomon now has to come back and he has to come back to work. We go to retreats, we go to all these kind of things, and all of a sudden we're back at work. And you're like, ugh. 
This is what's happening. So as we come to tonight's study, Solomon now is going to apply the wisdom that he's been given from God and this gift that God had given him, and now he has to put it to use. And it's not long that he had not to put it to lose. I've been all over the place as I studied this, this thing. As I looked at this, he's going to apply this gift. He's going to apply this gift. And you know, Paul, when he was writing to the church of Rome, in chapter 12, talks about gifts, serving God with spiritual gifts. He talks about that in chapter 12 of, Rome, of, of Romans. And he, you know, and I think it's interesting and I'm going to read 3 through 8, just so you can get the context. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So, being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now, here we go. Let us use them. If prophecy, prophesy in proportion to your faith. Ministry, do ministering. He who teaches, teaching. He who exhorts, an exhortation. He who gives, gives liberally. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, what I'm getting for this is if God has given you a gift, Use it. Use it to the best of the ability that God gives you. Step out in faith and use the gift that God has given you. Don't know what gift God has given you? Pray. Pray and ask. In 1 Corinthians 13, I think it says, desire the best gift. Earnestly desire the best gift. What is the best gift that God wants to give you? Ask. Ask and it's received by faith. And then step out and use the gift. This is what Solomon's about ready to do. He's about ready to use this great gift that God had given him, this gift of wisdom. He's about ready to step out and use this. So we come to these most familiar scriptures, and we all know them. We've all seen them. So let's read 16 to 22. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O Lord, O my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after she had, I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, it was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is her son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. So Solomon is faced with this dilemma. He's faced with this new dilemma, testing him as a king and also testing the gift that God has given him of wisdom. What I like about this, when I first look at this, I like about this is that Solomon had learned something really cool from his father. Everyone had access to the throne. I like that. When we become sons and daughters of God through our acceptance of Jesus Christ, 
we also have access to the throne, and he is indiscriminate. Anyone can come. He is no respecter of persons. When you're a son or daughter by acceptance of Jesus Christ, you can go into the throne room of grace. You can go directly in the throne room and petition God. And I love that. And I see that here. Solomon allows everybody to come in, common people and all. Anybody can come. Here are two harlots. Two harlots now have come into the throne, the throne room, and walked up to the where Solomon is sitting, and they're having this argument. Guzik put it this way, quote, This in itself is a remarkable testimony to the goodness and generosity of Solomon. Not many kids would take the time to settle a dispute between two prostitutes. Think of Jesus. Jesus welcomed everyone. Sat and ate with publicans and sinners. Came to seek and save that which was lost. Even spoke with prostitutes. and Talked to them about the kingdom of God. Solomon was able to solve this problem by applying the wisdom of God, whereas Jesus did so much more than just solve their problems. Jesus changed their hearts. And he had the authority to forgive sins. And if you read Matthew 12, in verse 42, it points out that Jesus was much greater than Solomon. Much greater than Solomon himself. Because when the Queen of Sheba came from a far country to hear the wisdom of Solomon... But people couldn't be persuaded to come and hear the wisdom of Christ. But he was so much greater than Solomon. Christ is so much greater than Solomon. One commentator said this, quote, Sheba could only hear Solomon's wisdom. He could not give her wisdom. But Christ will give wisdom to those who come to him. Nay, he will himself be made of God to them, wisdom, so that upon these accounts, if we do not hear the wisdom of Christ, the forwardness of the Queen of Sheba to come and hear the wisdom of Solomon will rise up in judgment against us and condemn us, for Christ is greater than Solomon. Solomon was a wise man, but Christ is the epitome of wisdom itself. Christ is wisdom. And it says that we have pertained all things for life and godliness in Christ. We are in Christ as our position, in whom all hidden treasures of wisdom. Colossians 2, verse 3. The Colossians were influenced by teachers who told them to seek treasures of knowledge. Go seek treasures of knowledge. Knowledge was more important than anything. But don't seek Jesus Christ. And Paul says to him, you will only find all treasures of knowledge in Jesus. He has them all. It's not wrong to seek after wisdom and knowledge outside of Jesus, but we must seek it in Jesus for it to be of any good thing. So standing before Solomon are these two harlots and one child. Whose is it? Who does the child belong to? This was a difficult case. This was a difficult case, Solomon's first case. There were no witnesses to the birth of this child. There were only these two people. There was no witnesses to the death of the child, of the one child. This case could not be tried in court because there were no trials. But there's several certainties. If, you're, if you were dealing with this, these would be the certainties that you would look at. This is how you would go. You would say, okay, there were two harlots. Each of them had a child. That's a given. Now one child's dead. That's a given. You are a sure.
You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. Many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how He can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's Word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.